It's time to go live at Lucian Live 2022 in Denver, Colorado, April 10th through 13th at the Denver Convention Center. Discover the innovative solutions, transformative insights, and strong connections to help you lead through change. Register at elucian.com slash Live and catch Elvin and I recording on-site live. We can't wait to see all of you. It's time. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to ed up on the Ed Up Experience podcast, where we make education your business. When this episode comes out, by the way, my name is Joe Salustio, as if you didn't know that already. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, I've done this like 401 times as this episode's being recorded. So uh, either you've learned to turn me off by now because you're sick and tired of hearing my voice, or um, you love hearing the insights of the guests and you tolerate me. So we're, we're going to have to just, we're going to go with, uh, with the second one. If you're still listening by now, maybe you're somebody who's listened to all 401 episodes, probably unlikely. Maybe you've listened to three or four, maybe more likely. Maybe you've listened to a hundred. I know I have, uh, I'd like to challenge anybody out there who's listened to a hundred. You could hit me up on LinkedIn. Of course, uh, find me on LinkedIn and uh, tell me how many episodes you've listened to. Now this episode will come out in about a month. We just put out our 401st episode, 135, or I don't remember how many college and university presidents, 135, 138, something like that. And uh, we are going to keep it going, uh, probably forever. One person who's been around forever is my guest co-host today. His name is Dr. Bill Pepicello. He's the guru of online learning. Bill, how are you? I'm doing great, Joe. Uh, you could show a little more respect if you'd like during the uh, during the <laughs> podcast today, but uh, things are going very well. Happy to be able to join you today. There he is, ladies and gentlemen, the guru himself. We'll work on the respect thing, Bill. You know how much I care and respect you, my friend. Oh, yeah. But I got to keep you down to earth. You know, I got to <laughs> keep you down to earth. Um, uh, Bill, uh, you're back again uh, as many times as, as I ask you not to come back and co-host with me, you keep showing up. Um, so you must like it. In fact, I hear a rumor, Bill, that you may be starting your own podcast. Is that any truth to this whatsoever? Well, the, beside the fact that I keep coming back to this podcast, frankly, you know, you, you sort of get in my way, Joe. So, uh, yeah. <coughs> <coughs> I think sometime in the very near future, people can uh, can look for a podcast that uh, I'm going to host myself called Ed Up Insights. Whoa! Oh uh, 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 yeah! You're gonna you're gonna get insights, ladies and gentlemen. Bill's gonna be, so Bill is going to well, he's gonna work his magic. Another person who I know is magic is my guest today. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, not that that's, I mean, that is a high bar to live up to as I introduce him here, that he's literally <laughs> magic. Ladies and gentlemen, his name is Dr. Stephen Standiford, and he's president at Bradley University. <laughs> Stephen, how are you? Very good. Thrilled to be with you today. What do you think of all this hoopla so far? Is it just so, crazy? <laughs> it, it is, actually. I'm, I'm debating a little bit what I got myself into, but uh, the more we get into it, the more I'm kind of excited that I'm here. So your staff people, they're somewhere going, oh, God, what did we do to him? We got him on this thing. No, I mean, talking level, to them later. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> level, set, level set for us. Tell us a little yeah. bit about Bradley University. What do you guys do? How do you do it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Bradley University is in Peoria, Illinois. 
Uh, we're a private university comprehensive, uh, good mix of traditional liberal arts and professional programs. Um, engineering business, health science is probably our biggest area right now. And uh, very experientially oriented, uh, very student centric, and uh, just a wonderful place in a lot of different ways. I could share a lot more details, but uh, uh, a pretty remarkable place. I've been here about a, a year and a half and absolutely love it. You know, so one of the things um, we've talked to a lot of presidents from private universities and they're, they're dealing with a multitude of issues, right? So uh, declining enrollment for some, maybe, maybe uh, marginal increases for others, challenges to the, the operating model in terms of expense, um, uh, diversification of the revenue stream, maybe vertical integration in terms of the different modalities of education, online learning, on-ground learning, faculty, uh, you know, uh, non-standard terms, standard terms. What are you dealing with? Like, what are those focus areas for you as you take, hopefully we take one giant step out of the coronavirus era into the future? Yeah. What are those focus areas? So it's interesting, the list, uh, pretty much everything you mentioned in the list, obviously is stuff we think about and deal with uh, day in and day out. The thing that's top of mind for me is you talk about the enrollment issues and we, we talk, you hear a lot about the enrollment decline coming in, the enrollment getting and all that kind of good stuff. and. Uh, I look at it as, as quite frankly, an opportunity. Uh, higher ed for over a century had kind of pretty much perpetual growth, and we did not have to be what I would describe as market-centric. And what's interesting is now, for the last 10 years, that's kind of softened, and we expect it to soften even more in the years to come. And to me, I actually see it as an opportunity. It's a chance for us to think differently and to, honestly, for the first time in my lifetime, really get serious about being sensitive to the needs and interests of today's students and designing our organizations around that. And so that's that's a lot of what we're thinking about. I mean, obviously, all the issues you mentioned, diversifying our portfolio, thinking about um, different ways to make the organization stronger. But it's this issue of thinking differently and fundamentally designing everything we do around the needs and interests of today's students. That's what's really top of mind for us. How do you, how do, you do that? Because, you know, yeah. higher ed is is uh, to, to say that we have our bureaucratic infrastructure built, <laughs> it would be the understatement of all time, yes. right? We, we yep. love, I was, talking to, um, I was talking to the president of Southern New Hampshire, Paul LeBlanc, on one of the previous episodes, and he was talking about, you know, as they've grown, they're just layering on committee and bureaucracy after bureaucracy as they grow. Yeah. And I said, you know what, that's not exclusive to big schools. That, that's at every higher ed school. We like yeah. to layer. We yep. layer committees and so on. How do you think differently without getting wrapped up in the bureaucracies of, of, uh, of committees and, yeah. and process and so on of higher ed? Yeah, it's a great question. In fact, I, one of my favorite um, phrases has uh, come from Bezos, beware proxies of success. And one of the worst proxies of success is process. Right. If you if you think if you think processes are leading to success, you're probably fooling yourself. And uh, so there's two ways we've gone about that. Um, one and probably the one that's been one of the most powerful for us is we have a relatively new COO CFO. Uh, Cheryl Cox is her name. She comes from private equity. She does not have a higher education background. And wow, has that shaken things up a bit? <laughs> because uh, oh yeah, she, oh yeah, she is constantly asking, "Why do we do this? Why do we do this this way? Why do we do this that way?" Um, she's delightfully impatient about how we handle things. And so she challenges us with some regularity. And um, I, it's interesting, our, our, our provost and our CFO have a, a good working relationship. They challenge each other constantly, but she is constantly asking, why do we do that? And if, if, if he ever finds himself saying, 
because that's how we've always done it. It's it's a it's a time to do a process check and say, is that really why we should be doing it? So that's been a key driver for us, getting some people in the organization that are not indoctrinated in higher education processes and come in and help us think differently. Um, the other thing we're doing internally is a realigning incentives. Uh, one of the things we're introducing this year is an incentive-based budget process. And once you start doing that, and the colleges, or we've got, we've got uh, five colleges, the colleges get to wow. share in the experiences. That to me, and, and, and if they perform well, they benefit from that. They get to capture some additional revenue. And boy, when you align incentives, suddenly processes start taking a backseat uh, to what are we really doing? Are we really delivering the way we expect to be delivering? 100%. <laughs> Bill, Bill, you're a little raspy this morning. I got it. But, you know, I'd love to follow up on that because one of my uh, bugaboos is people will find out on my new podcast, which will quickly overtake this one, is that I have issues... <coughs> is that I have issues with the business model of higher education. Yes. Yep. Um, you know, and I, I have worked at, at public and privates and not-for-profits and for-profits because um, I have been around forever. But I mean, one of the, the major uh, advances when I was at University of Phoenix is we brought in a CFO who was from outside of higher ed. Ah, interesting. I had exactly that same experience where he said, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, and, but I, I, we did not get as far as having an incentive-based business model. That is spectacular. I love it too. It's just, I mean, that is moving the business model where it needs to go. Yeah. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, and uh, I bet you're going to see great results from that all yeah. the way around. Yeah. Yeah. We're excited about the process. It's not an easy lift, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, and it's going to take some, I, I, I suspect it's going to take a year or two for my colleagues to quite get what's going on. But when they do, so what I love about it is I, I'm convinced we have a bunch of highly thoughtful entrepreneurs all over campus that once they start recognizing that, and oh, by the way, there's a benefit to me being thoughtful about how we best serve today's students and really making sure that their needs and interests are met. And as a result, getting our, more than our fair share of students, it's gonna be a real driver for us. You know, the funny thing that happens, let me just interject real fast but before you keep going, Bill. And Steven, I don't know if you've experienced this, but uh, I like to, uh, it, if you're at a high level, you're a president or maybe at an upper level at an institution and you've got, to think outside of the traditional, you're probably at the front end of that thought process versus people that don't have the exposure, they're not talking to other leaders and so on. And then you bring in somebody from outside of higher ed and the trailblazer you thought you were, you end up justifying <laughs> right. all the higher ed uh, bureaucracies to the person who questions things even deeper than you do. And it's like, I found myself doing that the other day. Somebody was, somebody from outside of higher ed was going, well, this is ridiculous. Why do you do that? I'm like, well, you know, you got to do this. And I'm like, wait a second, what am I saying here? Yes, that's right. right. Why do we do that? Right. You know, do you find that too? Oh yeah. In fact, you know, periodically I'll find myself, I, in fact, I was having a conversation with our uh, provost and senior vice president of, um, our, our vice president of strategy innovation earlier today. And we were having a conversation, well, you know, we really need to make sure that Cheryl understands, like, oh, or we don't. 
maybe we actually accept the fact that there are certain aspects of what we do she'll never understand because maybe they're not the things we should be doing. So one of the things we're even, I, I'm periodically doing a process check on us because of course, I, like like many in, in my role, I've been in higher ed for a number of years and it's very easy to get kind of- um, Lulled to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to come up with a maybe gentler way of saying that. Uh, but yeah, the basic idea that uh, you become so familiar with the processes, you don't see how, ineffective they can be. And so uh, the other thing we've done, by the way, that helped us a lot on this is we took a different approach to our strategic planning process. So in most, if you've been in higher ed long enough, you know how a lot of this often works is we pull together a bunch of people internally, we look around and say, what do we think we're good at? What do we want to do? We create a plan and we launch it. Uh, we took a different approach uh, heart of the pandemic, we did this, we, you know, I started here at the beginning of the pandemic, and but we didn't slow down. We were able to do a lot of this great work, even in the complexity of it all. But we began our strategic planning process by interviewing 1600 prospective students. And there was absolutely no internal work done until we had that data. We, we used a firm out of Iowa called Quester. And it was students that came here, students that considered us, didn't come here, and a bunch of students that never even considered us. And the key question is, what are you looking for in your higher education experience? And before we had a single internal conversation, we've completed that research and that became the foundation of our strategic plan. What that does is it breaks you a little bit out of that internal thinking and forces you to be a little bit more responsive to what students really want, which shockingly isn't necessarily what it is we traditionally do. And has forced us to rethink some of our processes as well. Wow. Yeah, Bill, go ahead. Gee, thanks. That was a long interruption, Joe. You're welcome. <laughs> well, one of, you've made me think of a couple of, uh, of quotes, Stephen. And the first is one by Gordon Gee, um, who in an interview a couple of years ago uh, said, higher education doesn't need to get out of the box. It needs to blow up the box. Yeah. And, and I really think, yeah. you know, you, you may not have blown it up yet, but I think you've lit the fuse. Yeah. Um, and, and part of that is also, and I think you got to this too, is that oftentimes in higher education, we tend to uh, embrace complexity. And <laughs> a couple of years ago, I, I was uh, a keynote speaker at an international conference in Australia. And one of the, one of the presenters actually said that. And in my, uh, in my remarks at the end, summing up, I urged people not to embrace complexity um, because as Joe, as Joe mentioned, you have to stop and say, well, wait a minute, why am I doing things you know, in yeah. this Rococo way? Um, and then I'm, I'm incredibly impressed with your strategic planning process. I mean, you answered a question that I was gonna ask, which is, well, how do you know who today's students Right. are and you the answer was well i don't know if if there are the people who are here or the people outside so we'll ask everybody yeah. uh, and see what we come up with but you also mentioned that you want to know what it is that today's students want yeah what have you discovered so it's interesting there are two dominant themes that came out um one uh it almost didn't matter who we asked, where they came from. They want a community that's inclusive and welcoming of all. Great priority for us as well. So that was a, that was one we were all over. 
Um, and that you'll see that's a, a, a dominant theme in our strategy. The other one that was been really interesting is they what they what we were hearing is look, there's this emerging assumption in higher education that it's all about jobs and careers. And what a lot of the students told us is yes, but we're looking for more than that. It's not just jobs and careers. We want to have a life of impact, a life of meaning, and you we want you to help us figure that out. And it's interesting as you as you start unpacking all that and, and with the in-depth interviews, what they're really looking for is don't come in. The analogy I've used is much of higher ed today is a series of doors, right? You come in, here are the 40 doors we have called majors. Pick one. We'll give you classes and skills, open the door for you, shove you through, we're done, life is good. And what our students are telling us is, no, 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 we don't want to come to some door you've already created. We want to come to campus and discover a door that's right for us, a door you probably haven't even made yet. And we don't want you to open it for us, but give us skills and abilities to open it ourselves. And what this is causing us to do is to really kind of deconstruct the idea of a major and say, it's not about the credit hours. It's not about the majors. Can I do what I want to do? Can I discover who I am by coming here and accomplish what it is I want to accomplish? And if I can do that, then you've helped me. And if not, and, and we look at this as a retention issue too, right? So many students come, they'll start studying a specific major, figure out it's not right for them and then drop out. And we said, no, no, no. Part of our job is to help you figure out what is right for you. And if you want to pivot in your junior year or do something different, we've got to build in the flexibility that allows you to do that. Um, 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 amazing. <laughs> wow, I got the amazing call. That's awesome. Thank um, you. <laughs> um, um, amazing. Yeah, I've never gotten the amazing that's true. I'd like to back up that statement, Bill. Yeah, right. Hey, everybody, head over to www.edipexperience.com, our website, where you're going to find all of the episodes that we've recorded categorized so that you can ensure that you're spending your time listening to the podcasts that are most important to you. You're going to see the reviews of our podcast, the shows in our network, our partners, and a section on starter episodes. If you're new to the Edip Experience, listen to those starter episodes and get a feel for how the podcast has evolved over time and our impact in the world. www.edipexperience.com. You know, if, if you don't mind, Joe, and even if you do mind, um, I'd like to, to change course just a little bit uh, because um, Stephen and I have something in, in common and I'd like to d discuss it a little bit. And now Joe is going, what in the world could these two people possibly yeah. have? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> we are both first generation college oh, yeah. students yeah, yeah, yeah. who became university presidents. Yep. And what I would, uh, what I'd like to find out is uh, how did that happen? I mean, I know how it happened for me, but yeah. did you see a clear path or, you know, how did you get there? Yeah, so it's uh, it, it's a really interesting question, and it's not one that um, that would be in inherently obvious. And I talk about there's a good friend of mine. Uh, he's a, one of the co-founders of a company called uh, Garden Fresh Sweet Tomato um, Soup Plantation Restaurants, and uh, he and I would talk together for a number of years in an executive program. And Michael's big, Michael Mack is his name. He's Michael's big on this idea of understand your intentionality, that true calling, that thing that drives you. And for a variety of reasons, I was. Um, fortunate through some guidance and some, I was good at math and science and ended up getting an engineering degree. And uh, almost instantly, I saw that I was able to see and do things to accomplish things in my life that no one else in my family was able to do. And I very quickly developed a, 
a passion, quite frankly, for higher education and say, how can I create that experience for others, right? That's, that's my true calling, if you will, the thing that drives me. Um, ended up getting a PhD, loved being a professor. Still, I was a strategy professor for a number of years. Best job in the world, relative, next to the one I have now. Uh, but, uh, and then I looked at it and said, okay, that's great. But what I'm really passionate about is how can I be part of every day creating the type of institution that creates those transformational experiences for students that allows them to have the fullness of life that I've been able to experience because of my education. And that's, that's what kind of drove me down, especially the administrative path, what's got me out of the classroom and onto the admin side, because now every day I get to be part of really doing that. And, and that also gets a little bit to why I'm, I, 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 I love being here at Bradley because we take a very student-centric approach and we have a large percentage of first-generation college students in our university, and that's something we re we get really excited about, and uh, creating those transformational experiences. Wow! Make one more follow-up, and then I'll yeah. throw it back to you, Joe. Um, obviously, part of your your passion is giving back to the community. I mean, you're yeah. part of a of a community that, uh, there in Peoria. Oh yeah, wonderful. Um, can you talk a little bit about? How you're how, how you're adapting curriculum, or, or you know what kind of programs you have there yeah. in the community? Yeah, in fact, one of our core um, pieces of our strategy is to develop greater community connections. Uh, two wonderful things about that. First of all, this is our home. This will always be our home as Bradley University Peoria has been great to us, and there's a richness of of um, relationship between the community and the campus. The other thing about it is uh, if if in this journey of helping students find the path that's right for them, to help them have a life of meaning, a life of impact. Uh, boy, we can start to simulate that in the classroom, but that really happens outside of the classroom. If we're gonna give them these transformational experiences that to help them really discover what they're passionate about and have the type of impact they want, we have got to get them off campus into the community engaged. So developing more community partnerships that create experiential opportunities for our students is absolutely core to our strategy. It's actually one of our, our, our strategy is pretty parsimonious. There are 11 action items in it. Uh, and um, we have kind of five thematic areas and 11 action items. That's it. Focus on what's most important. And deepening that sense of community engagement is a key part of it, actually. Love that. Um, since Bill switched up the direction of this conversation, <laughs> I'm going to do the same. Great. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, I'm going to do something a little bit more fun than, uh, than Bill. Hey. I'm going I'm to ask you to play a game with us, Stephen. You want to okay, play a game? Okay, great. Sure. All right. Here we go. Stephen, you're the next contestant. You're going to win no money for right answers here. Uh, <laughs> okay, but this That's is what called I get paid, Stephen. Yeah, right. this is what we pay Bill. Uh, it's called Higher Ed Word Association. Right. So I have this oh bank my. of okay. words. Yeah, I have this bank of words that I just, anything that's higher ed related, I put it in this bank and I randomly choose three. And in fact, you already talked about one. I'm going to give you the word higher okay. ed related and you tell me the first couple of thoughts that pop in your mind and Bill oh you're going to okay. do you get to you do, you get to go too Bill okay first word assessment assessment so the first thing that pops into my head is what are we assessing and making sure and it's the right thing we talk a lot about student success and uh, one of the key assessments that we're looking at is our students actually uh, graduation rate being probably the most important example for us, retention and graduation rate. And when we assess, there's a lot of things you can assess, but ultimately, if you're not focusing on the success and well-being of your students, you're missing out on it. Bill, assessment. 
I think my immediate reaction is definition. Um, having worked on both sides of accrediting bodies, um, either being accredited or, or helping to uh, determine what other people should be, what, what people call assessment is all over the place. And I think, yeah, I think Stephen is, he, he nailed it. And that is, what is it you're assessing? Ultimately, what are the student outcomes that, that you're assessing too? Um, and I think that's where higher education really uh, could stand some disambiguation. Yeah. And now that you guys are warmed up. All right. <laughs> Next one, Stephen, belonging. Oh, that's interesting. So that's, that's, uh, one we think a lot about welcome, creating a welcoming and inclusive community. A big part of that is do people feel like they are welcomed and belong as part of our community? And one of the things that I think has been a strength of ours in the past is a recruiting a very diverse community. We have some work to do to create a sense of belonging for anyone and everyone that comes to the university. But creating that sense of belonging, I would put that back to that assessment. Success and well-being is very related to whether or not our students feel like they belong. Bill, belonging. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a different route, one that I think you'll appreciate, Joe. My reaction is marketing. I think one of the places where institutions fall down is that they don't market to the people who they want to belong. They, they, they cast a wide net, and yeah. oftentimes that's, that goes against inclusivity. Um, it, at institutions. And so I think the better that uh, an institution can understand their students, and clearly, um, you know, Stephen's done that. Um, the, he has a good understanding of who he, who's today's students are for his institution. And I think that, uh, that, that would really go a long way for other institutions to look at as they uh, develop a marketing plan. Yeah. Okay, last one, and this was pre-planned. I would just like to state this was pre-planned before you even talked about it, so it makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> okay. The last one is strategic plan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big, um, so I'm a strategy professor by background, so I could go way off on this one. I'll, I'll resist the temptation. <laughs> um, actually, the word, I, I almost have a one-word response, and a good strategic plan is directional. It's not prescriptive. Because one of the things you've got to do with a good plan is you've got to execute and then and then adapt based on what you learn. So our plan is pretty, again, pretty thin, but that's by design. And there's 11 action items, but even those 11 action items are up for debate constantly as we learn more. It's directional in nature. Bill, strategic plan. I think it also has to be aspirational. Oh. You not only need to know what like direction that. you're going in, but you need to know roughly what's at the end of it what yeah yeah, yeah what do we want to be yep and there you have it ladies and gentlemen higher ed word association <laughs> how do you pretty good huh you guys like higher ed word association come on give me your it's fun isn't it it is it's it's it is the most unique aspect of a podcast i've done but i really it was a lot of well, fun actually, even more so. unique than having bill on with me he's pretty unique <laughs> i gotta be honest that's true <laughs> so um i asked this of every college president. Yeah. And it is, um, I think it's still one of the defining issues of our time in higher education, uh, something that we have to deal with, something that students are dealing with, and that is the question of value of a college yeah. degree. Yeah. And take it from whatever angle you want, but the fact of the matter is, is the general public 
There's an anti-intellectualism movement taking place where I guess pockets of the population feel as though you can achieve equally without a college degree that you can with. There are debates on both sides of that. There are different pathways to what is the definition of higher education on whether liberal arts has value anymore and so on yeah. and so on and so on. Yeah. What's your stance, Stephen? What's the true value of higher education and a degree in today's world? So it's, it's so interesting you bring this one up. We actually have, I'm, I'm looking at our strategic plan. We have five imperatives. Um, one, carrying inclusive, diverse, um, personalized life path. Number three is return on educational investment. And this is something we explicitly talk about. And in the exact wording we use is as one of our graduates, you can expect short-term benefits through career outcomes and long-term happiness from your investment. Wow. So the way we look at it is there's two pieces to that investment that matter. First of all, uh, to the extent that career matters, we, we absolutely care about that. That's still a part of our strategic plan. Um, but we also recognize that there's another piece to this. And it goes back to my experience as a first-gen college, uh, first-generation uh, college student. I've been able to see and do things that, quite frankly, people in my family just haven't been able to see or do. And a richness of life, because I've had the degrees of freedom to do that because of my education. And so I'm a big fan of that's It's, it's right in our plan to talk about return on educational investment. Now, I will go as far and be slightly controversial to say that that's not guaranteed just by going to college, right? Your, your college has to be a partner with you. First of all, you got to complete. And I think any student that we admit to the university that doesn't finish is a failure for us, not a failure for them. It's a failure for us. If we were, if we were, if we thought they were good enough to be in the, in the university, we have an obligation to help them succeed and get through. And then help them find the path that's right for them so that they have that richness of life. They don't end up being an XY, I was going to use a major specific, but I'll, I won't, XYZ major, which is not a good fit for them, and they're unhappy as a result of it. So we're looking at our advising function to say, are we advising students in the right way to make sure that they're finding the path that's right for them? And if we do that well, which is now part of our plan, they'll get that return on educational investment. So I think it's, I think, I think the value is still there. I don't think it happens by accident and universities have to play an active role on making sure that that return on educational investment happens. Bill, it looks like you're about to bite your microphone. You're so excited <laughs> to jump in here. I am. I, I, young Joe, grasshopper, you have just had one of the most valuable lessons you could ever. So in the, one of the things you need to be doing right now is taking down this note. We just had the best definition of return on investment ever. It's another bugaboo of mine, but I mean, that is perfect. And that is expect short-term results, but the longer-term results are, are where the value really is. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever heard anybody put it that concisely um, or that cogently. That's absolutely outstanding. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, 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 wow. Bill, I'm going to need you to calm down. I know you're excited. I know, <laughs> I know you're excited. We, we, we're getting you excited because we're going to get you into this podcast mode now, and you're going to get all these great insights on your podcast, and I get to come <laughs> sit and watch you do all this work. Well, you know, but it's interesting um, because we've, I've been on a, a co-host on a, several of these now, uh, Stephen, and a lot of times you get the, the standard higher education answers that any of us yeah. could give to, to these. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, they're perfectly good in the box answers, but 
I mean, we've really had some uh, some some great out of the box responses from well, you today. Thank you, thank you. When and uh, I give a shout out to my colleagues. It's interesting. A lot of this, this isn't just. I mean, this process was done with my colleagues. We did it based on research of our prospective students, but there was a fairly sizable group on campus that came up with this stuff. And what I get excited about, and sorry. A little bit of a pitch. One of the things I love about this place is our founding, our very founding was even different. We were founded by a lady named Lydia Moss Bradley, who was a entrepreneur, bank board executive, et cetera, et cetera, in 1897. And she founded the university and she has been a trailblazer from day one. So there's, it's a little bit in our DNA, which allows us to do some of this and to be a little edgy. We've been forward looking from our very founding and as I came in and, and wanted to blow up the box, what I found is, I'm not sure everybody was ready for the box to be blown up, but they were okay unpacking it. Maybe a better way of describing it. So, for the so, record, I did have a exploding sound effect that I did not download for this episode, but I did have one. So, <laughs> unfortunately, okay. I couldn't. I can't hit it. Yeah, we we can we can we can envision what that would sound. Envision, like. yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, um, I'm going to ask you one more quick question, then Bill, uh, close us out with any you have, and then I'll give uh, Stephen the final two. But you do have something on your website that says that 100% of students complete at least two documented real-world experiences. Yeah. How do you document that, and how do you how do you qualify as a real-world? How, how do they go out and do those real-world experiences? Yeah. It's it kind of a dumb question, but you know what I mean. Yeah, so it comes in all kinds of different shapes and sizes, right? So, um, but what that means is it's something that steps out of your traditional curricular boundary. And that's the best way. In fact, the, the, the term we use is boundary breaking innovations, things that step you out. So uh, if you're an engineering student, perhaps your Caterpillar has a big presence here in town. Uh, perhaps you're doing a project that's working with Caterpillar. Obviously, if you're one of our nursing students, you're working in the hospitals. Those are easy ones. Um, we had art students earlier this year. So the COVID, boy, our, talk about areas that really struggled to figure out what to do. Our art students were struggling to figure out because they couldn't get into their into their, um, into their their studios. So we went out in collaboration with the city and found some abandoned buildings and did murals on the sides of the buildings. So it looks and feels very different depending on the area you're in. So there's not a formula that I can say this is what it is, but the best way to think of it is it's a documented experience that takes you beyond the traditional classroom curriculum and engages you in a bigger sense of problem. Um, we have engineering, computer science, and interactive media students working with NASA to create a VR shield for a manned mission to Mars. That's another one that is one of those that gets you out of uh, that traditional traditional boundary of a discipline and creates it, that, that real life experience that we talk about. Bill, any more uh, questions? Yes, I have a, a burning question. Yeah. As a follower of college sports yeah and and, uh, and an avowed campus junkie uh first of all you have a beautiful campus i mean thank I, you i've only taken virtual uh tours of it but yeah your teens are the braves is that not correct that is correct and yet your mascot is a gargoyle <laughs> right right how does that happen so we've worked very closely um, with the native Indian community to try to figure out, it used to be not, it used to be a brave, it used to be uh, a chief. We've worked hard with them to figure out what makes sense. Uh, how does that work? How can we do this in a way that is respectful and uh, honoring of, of, of their cultures and communities? And the, the solution we came up with is we still use the term the braves, 
but the mascot has shifted to the gargoyle. The gargoyles came from, it was a student, you know, who wants to vote on what we want as a gar as a mascot? And there are some gargoyles on our classic buildings here on Bradley Hall, Westlake have gargoyles on them. And everybody remembers the gargoyles. And so it became the gargoyle. So we still call ourselves the Braves uh, in, in, in nod to the heritage of the university, but uh, for the mascot, we actually go with the gargoyle. And boy, do I get mixed reviews on that. I have, I have an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old daughter. One of them thinks it's awesome. The other one thinks it's just strange. Uh, so it kind of really depends on who you talk to, but he does a great job. We have a, the mascot is at every game and I think does a great. It's, it's got to be one of the more unique mascots in higher education. Heck yeah, gargoyle. That's, yeah. that's cool. I, I think so, by the way. But yeah. uh, well, okay, we like to Joe, take us home. I'm going to yeah. thank you, Bill. Um, I will do that. Uh, and uh, Stephen, we ask our guests a final two questions, the same two questions to end every episode. Number Great. one, what did we not say about Bradley that you would like to say? Anything going on, announcements you want to make, plugs for the website, things about your staff, anything that we should know about your university, take a couple minutes and plug away. Secondly, yeah. okay. and, more and more, yeah. most importantly, what do you see as the future of higher education? Yeah, so, so they're one and the same in some sense. And one of the things that I think is a plug for the university I get really excited about is uh, we're very fortunate to be, very, to be able to be forward-looking because it's actually in our DNA. This actually came up in the conversation earlier. Lydia Moss Bradley, uh, actually, if you look at um, uh, the Women's Hall of Fame, she's in the top 100 because she just did a remarkable amount of things. The whole city of Peoria is, is better because of Lydia Moss Bradley, but her crown jewel was the university. And from the very beginning, she wanted to create an institution that gave uh, young men and women from the very means to have industrious and meaningful lives, right? So she's been forward-looking from day one. We're able to do that in our DNA. And what this means today is when she created the university 125 years ago, she did it to really understand the needs and interests of the students at the time. We actually started as a school of horology, actually watchmaking. Uh, we don't do horology anymore, by the way. Uh, so we've transformed. But from day one, it was what did today's students need to be successful? That's where we're at today. And I get the question um, sometimes, you know, I know what the university is going to look like for the next three to five years, right? Because we've done the research. We know what today's students are after. We've built the university around that. Uh, I'll get the question of what does it look like 10 to 15 years from now? And the short answer is, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it looks like, but I know how we get there. And the answer is we get there by being attentive to the needs and interests of the students at that time. And as long as we, and this is a, I think this is a mental shift for higher education to be really mm -hmm. student focused, truly student centric. Uh, you often hear universities say they're student centric. I would say they're student concerned. They're concerned about students once they tap into the system as we define it. A truly student centric university is building systems around the needs and interests of today's students. That's what we're doing here at Bradley University. It's going to fundamentally change how we think moving forward. And in doing so, be true to our founding roots of the university, which is something I get pretty excited about. Mind blown by the student concerned, student centric. Yes. That, that is, that defines the the, the schools that say they're student-centric but really are not, you just wonder what, what, how are they really – It's yeah, yeah, we're concerned about students, but we're really not centered around them. That was right. Right. a huge takeaway for me. Well, right. well said. Thank you. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I, I got to say, if you're not listening to this episode, you are missing out on some key, <laughs> key insights. But if 
you are listening to it, then you did get all the key insights. And if you heard me say that you're missing the insights by not listening, you would never know because you didn't listen, right? I don't know if you put <laughs> up all of, all of that, but maybe I'm just going to take some of this and turn it into a social media post because uh, the stuff that you said, Stephen, is just incredible. Um, but before I thank you, uh, uh, Stephen, I have to thank my guest co-host. He is the guru of online learning, Dr. Bill Pepicello. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Stephen. It was this was, uh, I think, one of the if not the best podcast that I've been part of. So thank you thank very you. much, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Bill started sitting down at the beginning of this episode. He's now standing up. That's how excited he is. Uh, my guest today, here he is, Dr. Stephen Stanford. He's president at Bradley University. Stephen, thank you so much for coming on the Edip Experience. It was a complete honor to host you, my friend, and I mean that. It's been a thrill and a lot of fun as well. So thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just ed upped. It's time to go live at Lucian Live 2022 in Denver, Colorado, April 10th through 13th at the Denver Convention Center. Discover the innovative solutions, transformative insights, and strong connections to help you lead through change. Register at elucian.com slash Live and catch Elvin and I recording on-site live we can't wait to see all of you. It's time.